0: Morning.
1: Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported
0: by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Light of the East is also funded by a grant from the Koch Foundation.
1: Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loyal, your host, getting closer and closer to immersing ourselves in the great mystery, the mystery of the invisible God become visible, a mystery hidden from all the eternity, all time immemorial, and now revealed. Notice how I speak in the present, because you see... In liturgical terms, in the terms of the church and the scripture and our faith, we really transcend time, at least time as we know it. We transcend what's called chronological or chronos time, and we enter into what's called kairos. These are Greek words. It means, in a sense, like a timelessness or almost like a fusion of past, present, and future. It all becomes one. In other words, whatever happened is ongoing. And that's the case with great, great holy days, events, feast days like the birth of our Lord. Because it's more than just the birth of our Lord. In the Eastern churches, we call it, yes, we call it the nativity of our Lord Jesus Christ in the flesh, but we also refer to it as the divine condescension, the great kenosis, the self-empting of God, the incarnation. In other words, the element of the baby, the baby Jesus, is part of something it's not the end. It's not just what it's about. Christmas is not just about the baby Jesus because he's a baby. As nice and wonderful as that is, the baby part is indicative that God became human in all ways. So obviously he had a start like humans do. The only thing that was different was that he was conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary through the Holy Spirit. Other than that, he developed just like any other human being. Of course, he did not sin. And so the birth is the beginning of what was the great mystery unfolding. The great mystery was the invisible God becoming visible through the physical. In other words, becoming his own creation while still remaining God. See, that's the important both and. Our spirituality is always in the both and. God becomes man, becomes human while still remaining God. And that's what's so marvelous about this. What an act of love, what an incredible outpouring of love, that an invisible God who did not need to lure himself, to condescend, to humiliate himself, to become that which he was not while still remaining that which he is, he didn't have to do that. He could have fixed us up anyway, just by the blink of his eye, a mere thought of his divine mind. But he chose to do it this way to go through the process, the whole process of his becoming us just like us in every way so they could save and redeem every aspect of us and every aspect of creation. He would redeem us from birth to our adulthood, all the way to our destiny in the next life. And he would redeem creation. Well, we see it as sacramental. We bring things into the church from, from nature, flowers and vegetables and foods and breads, and we bless them. We bring them in church, we bless them, and they become part of our immersion in these various liturgical moments, these feast days. And so the earth is sacred. You know, Catholics, East and West, Orthodox Christians, you know, the sacramental churches, we were the first environmentalists. That's right. Yeah, we've always been environmentalists, but not in the the trendy term. In the real term, That we have always seen the environment as sacred. We've always blessed it and tried to preserve it and use it. In fact, one of the most renowned environmentalists in the world is the Greek Orthodox patriarch, Bartholomew. That's right, the head of the Greek Orthodox Church. He lives in Turkey in current day Istanbul, used to be Constantinople. He's put together worldwide seminars and conferences on the environment, kind of known as the, the green bishop the green patriarch. And he doesn't have to be some kind of extremist or into a fad or a trend or politically correct to do that. You just have to be what we are, sacramental. And we are that way because of this great mystery of the incarnation. If God has infused himself in his own creation, well, that makes a difference in how we see and approach creation. It comes not just from the fact we have this environmentalist trend or part of some kind of like leftist agenda or something. It's because of the reality of the incarnation, which stays with us. I have to laugh. i, I just uh, amazed at words and f- phrases said today. Well, because of the coronavirus, we have to cancel Christmas this year. Everybody gets all upset. What do you mean cancel Christmas? You know, I laugh at that because it, it's so revealing as to how far off we are as a as a world, as a culture, as to what this event really is. How do you cancel Christmas? It must mean that you see it as some kind of, well, just momentary event of gathering, of decorations, of presents, of partying, eating, or whatever. And you call that Christmas, because if you can cancel, it means you don't have the gathering, so therefore you're not going to have as much food and partying, because that's going to be dangerous danger of health. We'll spread the coronavirus, so so we think. So that's Christmas. It, th- this statement that we can cancel this year because of the coronavirus is such a revelation of how we understand what this is. Besides, it's, it's laughable. You can't cancel something that already happened and is happening. Notice that ongoing presence, the present time ongoing that I'm referring to here. The today that we say in the prayers, the today reference in the holy day prayers and rituals and liturgy mean just that. That this event, for example, Christ being born, was not just, oh, this is his birthday and it happened a while ago and he's gone now and we commemorate it. We kind of remember it like we remember President's Day, you know, Washington's birthday or Lincoln's birthday. It's something that happened in the past. You know, happen meaning final, past tense, it happened, it's over. And we just kind of remember it or celebrate it. That's not what we do during Christmas. Christmas is our immersion, our entrance into something that is still going on, something that happens you can't cancel. God did not roll back his incarnation. He has it rolling out continuously because he's continuously present in us, in his creation, in the liturgy. Think of it as the Eucharist, Holy Communion. It's sacrifice of the liturgy. It's sacrificial. But in that sacrifice, what's happening is the one who offers yeah, he offers, and he is offered. In other words, he's offering himself to himself in a sense. And we participate in that ultimate offering. It goes back, of course, to that first last supper, or we call it the mystical supper in the Eastern churches. Christ gathered the apostles you know, on that Thursday before he died, and he had that magnificent special meal in which he took bread and wine and said, this is my body, this is my blood, eat of it, drink of it. And in John chapter six, he says that unless you do that, you will not have life in me. You must have the Eucharist for life. You must have the body and blood of Christ for life, and it's real. Well, whenever we offer the liturgy or the mass, we don't re sacrifice Christ. We enter into that one sacrifice that is ongoing, that is in Cairo's time. Same thing is happening with Christmas. You know, I don't even like to call it Christmas. I mean, okay, it's a a good term. We know it means Christ's birth, but it kind of undersells the whole thing. And the way we use it in our culture, we use it as basically a reference to a holiday, which really has no real reference to what it's all about. It's a holiday. It's like something basically not much far removed from pagan. You just kind of get together and you have a good time and all the things you use for that good time, that's what makes your Christmas. That's what makes the event. Nothing could be further from the truth. I prefer to call it the incarnation, the divine condescension, or the nativity of our Lord in the flesh. In other words, it's a little bit longer, but it's more descriptive. That's how we call it in the Byzantine church, the nativity of our Lord Jesus Christ in the flesh. It's more Explanatory than just the word Christmas. I mean, we we you, me believers that really believe, we we do know what Christmas means. We know it in its fullness, as much as we can know such a great mystery. But for most people, they don't. Christmas means this gathering, this holiday with all human type of endeavors that can be stopped because of a coronavirus. Therefore, there's no Christmas because you associate Christmas with those things. Now what we do, though, for such a great mystery is, as you know, we've been preparing for it, kind of ramping up to it, cleaning a house. Now we're gonna take the steps into its reality. It's something like walking by a pool of water, or a swimming pool or a lake or an ocean, and you're going to eventually dive in completely over your head, you're gonna immerse yourself in the water. But what do we do sometimes? Well, we sometimes walk by and kind of put our foot in the water or sit by the pool and kind of dangle our legs in there, kind of get a little bit used to the water. We kind of warm up to it. Now, sometimes, yeah, we jump in, we cannonball into the water. But most of the time, we, especially if it's like a beach or a lake, we kind of walk by there. We kind of enjoy the ambiance, sort of sort of get into it. And then we eventually get into the water. Well, that's what we're doing for this feast day. It's what we do with all feast days, especially in the Byzantine calendar. Think of it as this bell curve, a rising action, you know like a roller coaster, a rising action, the climactic moment. that's the feast day itself. And then a what we call the falling action. In other words, we're coming out of the feast, but we're still celebrating it. It's like the roller coaster still getting the thrill of the ride as you come out of it. And then you move out of that and it's supposed to be, something that changed your life just like we get off the roller coaster what do you say wow that was great wow what a thrill in other words it, it changed your disposition it affected you, you even share it with people wow that was great let's go let's go on again Once come up with me again we're gonna go out again you got to go on this ride you just don't get off to oh well that's it you, you react to it it left something with you that experience Usually it's experience of joy. It lifts your spirit. You want to share that with people. Well, it's the same thing with this roller coaster that we know as a great feast day. There's a rising action, a climactic moment, and then there's the kind of the falling action, the resolution that then profoundly affects us and changes us, or so it should. And we're going to talk more about that when we return. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Every day. Father Loya
0: posts a brief two-minute Facebook video on the Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish homepage. You'll be amazed at what you can learn just by watching. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion, and to tell the story of the eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright.
2: Welcome to a St. Nicholas Minute. Why does St. Nicholas deliver gifts under the cover of night? Well, that tradition began in my hometown of Patara in Asia Minor when I came to the help of a destitute man who had three grown daughters. He was so poor that he could barely feed them. Because he was so desperate, he was tempted to sell them into slavery. Then I remembered the words of Jesus who said, when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what the right hand is doing. And so I put together three bags of gold coins and tossed them through the window at night to help them. That was the first of my midnight visits. And that's the reason to this very day, even when I'm dressed as Santa Claus, I still deliver gifts under the cover of night. May the same love, joy, and peace that the angels proclaimed on that first Christmas animate your own heart to give hope to those most in need. For Christ is born. Glorify Him. (laughs) I'm Father Tom Coys, pastor of St. James at Sag Bridge in Lamont, Illinois, and you are listening to Father
1: Thomas Loya on Light of the East. It's no secret that.
0: Father Loya and other speakers from the Tabor Life Institute are available to speak at your parish or group on marriage and family topics seen through the lens of St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body. Other topics include Eastern Christian Spirituality,
1: Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loyer your host. As we're putting our foot in the water, so to speak, we're trying to trying to get used to that moment when we immerse ourselves into the waters of this great feast of the Nativity. So we kind of walk around the shore, kind of get used to that, get into the mood and the spirit of it. Smell the ocean have that sense of the breeze, listen to it, and then we start to wade in it and have that water go around our feet. It feels really nice. And eventually we walk further into it until we finally are immersed in it. And that's what we're doing now. And what we do then, in order to get used to that, to kind of dangle our feet in the water first, are two Sundays before the actual event of our Lord's Nativity. And those Sundays in Byzantine liturgical calendar focus on the past of Jesus Christ, In other words, where it all came from. And what we focus on this Sunday, which is the second Sunday before the actual nativity of Christ, before the actual event, we focus on the foreshadowing of that in the Old Testament so that we know that when Christ comes and we see all the signs, all the details of his coming, where he was born, how he was born, when he was born, We hear an echo of those Old Testament prophecies, and we find out that, ah, this is the guy. This is the one. This is, in fact, the Messiah. In the liturgical prayers today, this weekend, they are for the Sunday the Holy Forefathers or the Patriarchs of Christ. Now, next week will be his actual genealogy, in other words, by the flesh, how he goes back and we look through his physical lineage all the way through the Virgin Mary. Here we're looking at his prophetic lineage, his scriptural lineage, the patriarchs. And we say this, today we commemorate the ancestors of Christ, sing with fervor hymn a praise to Christ the Savior, who exalted them among all nations. He is the Lord who does wondrous deeds because he is powerful and mighty. From them he brought forth a royal scepter, the immaculate maiden of God and Virgin Mary. From her Christ our God came forth to give life and eternal salvation for all. Today, we commemorate the ancestors, and we look at prefigurements, such as in this verse, the three holy youths were refreshed by the Holy Spirit when they walked in the fire as though in a cool place. And then the Trinity and the incarnation of Christ were prefigured in a mystical manner. Now, that's a real mouthful. In the book of Daniel, we hear about the three youths, So we refused to bow down and worship a false god. They were thrown in a fiery furnace. And because of their faith, they danced through the flames, praising God. So they fired the furnace up even higher. You know, their persecutors. They made it even higher, and they still danced through the flames. And so we look at that, look back on that, and say, you know, that's kind of interesting. Human beings were in fire, but they were untouched. What does that seem like? It seems like something like the burning bush, too, that story. It seems, though, that that's reminiscent of the fire of Christ being in the womb of the Virgin Mary, yet not consuming her. It also is reminiscent of the incarnation. In them, the trinity and the incarnation of Christ was revealed and prefigured in a mystical manner, the prayer says. So we've got three persons, three youths, untouched in the fire, and this is prefiguring the trinity and the incarnation of Christ. And the verses say that three youths were refreshed by the Holy Spirit— So now you've got the whole great mystery right there. You've got the Trinity, you've got the Incarnation, you've got the Holy Spirit, you've got the prefigurement of the Virgin Mary. So we look back at these things and we see how Christ was prefigured in them. How about the story of Joseph in the Old Testament? Remember his brothers persecuted him? They were jealous of him, jealous of his innocence, So they sold him into slavery, left him up for dead. And then eventually in the story, they meet up with him, not knowing it's him. And he saves their lives and he forgives them in a very, very dramatic movement there in the book of Genesis. Where it tells the story of Joseph. And what it does in the book of Genesis is it breaks up the story and actually goes on to other stories, then resumes with the rest of the story of Joseph. That's because the story is very long. It was also trying to give a sense of the passage of time. In other words, it breaks away from the original story, the first part of it, then it comes back to it, back to the great resolution when he is reunited with his father and his brothers and all is forgiven. There's also in that story a moment when Joseph is tempted to be impure, but he resists that temptation and retains his innocence. So again, we have prefigurements of Jesus Christ, unfairly persecuted by his own people, but yet pure and forgiving and reconciling them to him once again. They feared his retribution. You know, they lived in the eye for an eye, the justice kind of Ethos back then in the Old Testament, they knew that once they were found out, his brother knew that they had tried to sell him into slavery, that they betrayed him, and they thought it was all a done deal, and they didn't know they would meet up with him again. But they did. This time, he was a great, great figure in the Egyptian government, and you know he was a great advisor to Pharaoh, and it was through Joseph's wisdom that a famine was averted. Basically, he told Pharaoh to save up food because there would be a famine, and he did. And so, when his brothers came to Joseph looking for food, they didn't know that he was actually their brother. He had food for them because of his wisdom, and he also revealed himself to them And there's this great reconciliation moment in the Bible there in the book of Genesis. The story of Joseph and the story of the three ewes in the fiery furnace, these are all stories that ought to be read during this Christmas time, this this preparation for Christmas. Also in the book of Daniel, of course, is the great story of Daniel being in the lion's den and not being eaten by the lion. The lion lies down with him. Again, a figure of the resurrection where God, Jesus Christ, goes into the lion's den, into Hades confronts the devil, breaks the power of Hades. He's untouched and he releases the captives there. So very similar kind of foreshadowing there in the story of in Daniel, the story of Daniel himself being thrown into the lion's den, but being unharmed. In fact, even taming the lions, as God tamed even the evil ones, that God tames evil forces because he is the God of all. So Gather the family around, or if you don't have a family, gather yourself around. Read the Old Testament. Look back at some of these stories from the prophets like Isaiah and Micah, the story of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were all stories, all prefigurements of Jesus Christ. And so we look back at all that, and basically we're looking back at it in gratitude. We're looking back at it with a great sort of aha, oh wow, look how God had it all figured out. It was all being hinted at, and we didn't realize it until Christ comes along. Then the great aha. See, we in a sense, we, we read the Bible backwards. We read back into it. We see and read about Christ. Then we realize in the Old Testament, all those events and people, what they were really about. The whole of the Old Testament was basically about Jesus Christ and his blessed mother, that whole incarnational mystery and reality. I once saw an instructional film by a doctor, and he said this, he did this research on what people live the longest, and he researched all around the world, and he found different cultures, and he found that, that these cultures had certain things in common because their people live the longest. And his conclusion was this, he said, medicine doesn't heal, community heals. In other words, what he found was that the people who lived the best and the longest were people who lived in community. In other words, where their relatives cared for them. They weren't shoved off to nursing homes and so on. I know sometimes that becomes a necessity or whatever, but basically the elderly were revered. They lived at home. They were honored and cared for and that was the best thing for their health that sense of patrimony is a holy and good thing for our health and spiritually and physically and the health spiritually and physically of the next generation as well it is good for children to know their grandparents to be close to them, to have that sense of honor of those who came before us. And that's what we do today on this second Sunday before the Nativity in the Byzantine liturgical calendar. We honor those that came before Christ and we thank God for that magnificent plan that he had in mind from centuries and centuries ago. I'm Father Thomas Leia on Light of the East. This is Dr. David Anders, host of Call to Communion. Advent is a season when we anticipate, look forward to, prepare ourselves for the coming of the Lord, Lord Jesus, the birth of Christ. In, in tradition, Advent is a time of penance. It's a time to deny ourselves and mortify our flesh as we prepare ourselves for the coming of our Lord. In our culture, a lot of times people think it's time to put the tree up, start the holiday parties. That's all wonderful. I mean, got nothing against holiday parties. So when you're thinking about your holiday parties, think also about preparing your heart. Stop.